0: And then we'll also skip to the end uh, to help us out. Um, but it's a question I think that is a very prolific one, and it's a question that most people I think uh, try and answer over the course of their life. And it, that, of course, is what is it all about? What, what is the meaning of life? And why are we here? You know, what's the point? Uh, and and people have all kinds of ideas. Um, some people will say that. Uh, life is about uh, accumulating knowledge or being wise, it's about advancing uh, scientific understanding or reading lots of books, um, being up-to-date on the all, all kinds of philosophies and etc. Um, others might say that, well, it's about being happy, it's about pleasure, it's about enjoying yourself as much as you can uh, before it's all over. Or others will say, well, it's about doing good, it's about being kind, it's about giving to charity or um, helping at your neighbour. Um, feeding a dog or whatever, you know, it's it's about doing good works. Um, others will say that it's all about uh, your career, your work, uh, what you can sort of collect to yourself uh, over your life, the what you could build, maybe a legacy that you can leave behind. And these are all some of the ideas people put out there, and, and many of them practice or try to practice these things in their life. Uh, and really, if you ask most of the people that say these things, really what they'll say is that, the answer of what is the meaning of life, they'll say it's whatever you want it to be, really. You can pick and choose. But I imagine, I think I'm safe in assuming this, if I was to ask most of you here, I would imagine most of you are Christians, if I was to ask you what you think the meaning of life is, you'd probably give me a, a biblical answer, or you'd reference scripture, and you might not say some of the things I've mentioned. Uh, you might even, in fact, quote from Ecclesiastes uh, to answer that question, and that's thats very good. It's a good thing. I'd do the same. Um, but That's not necessarily what I want to consider. Uh, Really, what I think is far more important and always is far more important for us as Christians is not whether we can say the right thing, but whether we can do it, whether we can live it. And so the question is not, uh, what would you say to that answer, but it's actually, how do you live that out? You know, if I ask you, what is the meaning of life, and you give me an answer, the question really remains, but do you live it? Um, And that's kind of the idea and some of the things I want us to have a look at this evening. We're going to look at the first two chapters and consider some of the maybe paths in life that we should try and avoid, um, some of the things that we might accidentally find ourselves falling into, I think. It's, it's quite easy, I think, sometimes to fall into these ways without realizing it. And then after that, we'll go back and return to that question, what is the meaning of life? Look at what the Bible says, look at what Ecclesiastes says, and see how that then plays out in our life, uh, how that changes things a bit. So that's hopefully what we're going to do. Um, we'll be starting in the first verse, in the first chapter. I feel like it's maybe, maybe good to sort of define a few terms before we move forward. And the first one, I think, is the title of the book, Ecclesiastes. Well, what does, what does that mean? Where does it come from? So the word Ecclesiastes comes from a Hebrew word. Uh, it's a koaleth or koaleth, something along that. You might actually have a footnote down there in the bottom of your page. And it's also the same word that is translated oh to preacher, as you'll see in verse one. And that's essentially what Ecclesiastes means. It means someone who will speak to an audience, uh, like I'm doing now. Um, That's what the word means, and that's uh, what it talks about. And that's who we're listening to when we read this book. We're listening to the preacher. And then the next question that should follow is, well, who's the preacher? Uh, That preacher, we believe, is Solomon. Uh, We've got a few good clues, hints to, to think that. You'll see in the first verse, it says, the words of the preacher, the son of David, King in Jerusalem. Now, Solomon was both the son of David and a king in Jerusalem, so that fits pretty well. And so we'll see here that who we're listening to and, and, and who we're reading from is uh, Solomon, and he is called the preacher. And he's accounting or giving a kind of a, an account or a journal, if you like, or a sort of a, a story of his life and what he's seen and what he's done and all the wisdom that he's collected, and he's passing it on to us. And so with that in mind, we'll read, I think, chapter one. I'll read the first 15 verses to begin, and then we'll move from there. So, chapter 1 and verse 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises, The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north, around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness, a man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new, it has already been in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of of later things yet to be among those who come after. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. (coughs) You might feel after reading that that uh, Solomon should just cheer up. You know, it can't all be so bad, can it? But I think in order to really understand what we're reading and, and, and and where this is all coming from is to understand Solomon's perspective. He's got to understand the preacher's perspective. You see, what he's doing here is he's going out on his own. He's not considering God or anything else like that. And he's sort of seeing what life has to offer on that basis alone. It's a purely horizontal view of life. You'll see the phrase under the sun is mentioned, and it is mentioned throughout uh, Ecclesiastes. And it's to express, I think, this idea of a purely horizontal view, one one in which God is not in the picture. And he's essentially going out and seeing that, with that in mind, he's finding that everything is completely meaningless. Um, There is a uh, song uh, written and performed by Johnny Cash and U2 that came out in 1993. And it's called The Wanderer. And there's a few lines from from it that I want to read, because I think it kind of gets a nice perspective or another angle at this. And it says this, I went out walking through streets paved with gold. Lifted some stones, saw the skin and bones of a city without a soul. I went out there in search of experience to taste and to touch and to feel as much as a man can before he repents. I went out searching. This is our man. This is our guy. He's gone out and looked for experience uh, to taste and to touch and to feel as much as he can before it's all over. And what does he find? Well, he finds it's all meaningless. Uh, you see, he starts of scratching away at the facade uh, he's, he's having a look under the surface. He's not happy with things just as they are presented to him. He wants to see what's really going on. And he's doing it without God in the picture. Um, and as, we've, as I've said, and as I've said again, he finds it's meaningless. Or vanity is the word that's used here. Um, vanity of vanities is verse 2, what it says. And you'll have maybe a footnote as well. I do in my Bible, and it expresses that uh, this word is an idea of a mist or a vapour. It's something that's unattainable, something that's uh, not you can't grasp, but you can't hold on to it. It's like an enigma, an elusive quality, elusive thing. Uh, In other words, it's meaningless or futile. And he says, "This is what life is." Uh, And he looks around. He looks around to various things, and he he sees futility. He looks there in verse three to sort of the, uh, or verse four rather, to the generations that come and go, to human life. He looks to the sun and its orbit in verse five. The weather, uh, rivers and oceans, his own senses, history and time, then itself at the end there in verse eleven, and all he finds is it's wearisome and it's cyclical in nature. It goes round and round and round. It's very much like the movie if you ever seen it, Groundhog Day. You know he, the man is stuck in the same day again and again and again. He wakes up. And it's still groundhog day. The next day, still groundhog day. And slowly he loses his mind. Uh, he drives himself off a cliff at one point. Um, and so that's the picture. That's what he's seeing. Without God there, it's completely meaningless. Um, and I think for us as Christians, maybe we do feel like that sometimes. Maybe we do look around and we think, you know, it is just all oh, so really some. You know, what is the point here? Um, and 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 part of that I think is 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 due to the you know, sinful nature of our world. But at the same time, I don't think that should be our our perspective as a Christian, because uh, we have God. Uh, ours isn't purely horizontal. But sometimes I think we do feel a bit like this. And I think potentially it's because, and, and maybe 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 or not, but maybe it's because that we've stepped away from that true pursuit in life, and we found ourselves running down a dead end street. We've been following maybe some of the vanities or the pursuits of vanities that are laid out in the next few verses. Uh, and I want us to look at those, consider those, and maybe think about how those can sneak up on us or how we can accidentally find ourselves taking a wrong turn um, in our own lives. And so with that, we're going to look at our first pursuit of vanity, or our first vain pursuit. Uh, and that is found in verse 16. Uh, to uh, 18, or yeah, verse 16 to 18 of our first chapter. Let me take a drink. It says this, I said in my heart, I have acquired great, great wisdom surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Again, I'm going to hopefully try and remind us that the perspective we have here is one of under the sun. God's not in the picture. And so with that, we're looking at knowledge or wisdom. And really, you can say that last verse there, 18, verse 18, in a, in a reverse, and you could say that it's essentially expressing the idea that ignorance is bliss. Um... You know, to not know is to not find any grief, it's to not be full of sorrow. Often knowing things or having a greater knowledge of something, I think often will lead us down a place of sorrow and grief and sadness. And it's so true. Uh, we see that. I mean, he expresses that truth and we know it in life too. Ignorance definitely can be bliss. Um, but maybe we don't necessarily have, have that as, as our issue, but you know, for us, I don't know how often knowledge is really the, the, the problem. I don't know how many of us are going around accumulating knowledge and just reading lots of books all, the, all day. Maybe we are, and, and, and that in itself is, is not good. But for us as Christians, for many of us, I think it takes a more assiduous or a sinister or slightly uh, approach to us. Um, you see, when we come to study our Bibles, when we come to look, open our, 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 our Bibles before us, our God's Word... We're not studying for an exam when we read it. You know, it's not a textbook to be known in, in that sense. You know, we don't we don't understand these things because we want to know more facts. Uh, it's it's not about that. Uh, it's something different. When we open our Bibles and when we come to study it, it's a, about a relationship. You know, we're getting to know a God so that we might know Him more, so that we might understand Him more, so we might serve Him more. Um, again, it's this idea of a relationship. You know, I. I've, I have friends, and I'm thankful that I've never had to take an exam to get them to be my friend. You know, we don't have to uh, be examined on that. That's something you work at together. Um, and this, again, is, is, is for us to consider, I guess, as Christians, is that when we come to study our Bibles, when we come to, to, to develop that knowledge or wisdom that is found in here, are we doing it simply as a means of knowing more things, and are we treating it as if we're coming to are going to have an exam at the end of our lives. You know, when we, when we get to heaven and we're standing there, at the, the gates uh, into heaven, it's not as though someone's going to come down and start quizzing us on our Bible knowledge or, thinking or, or asking us to give a, a sort of three-point sermon on the first two chapters of Ecclesiastes. That's not going to happen, thankfully. Um, no, when we come to study, when we come to, to know more about God, it is, it, is, it is not an exam and it's not a, a case of studying or, a, or studying a textbook. It's a case of getting to know someone. And so then I think in this way, in this sense, for us, maybe the danger for this vain pursuit is that we turn knowing God and that relationship into purely an intellectual exercise. Um, because simply knowledge of God is, is, is not enough. It's meaningless in itself, really. I think a, a, a very good example of this is um, Solomon himself. If I can find the, the passage in First Kings, you know, we read of, sort of Solomon towards the end of his life, uh, and, and what all that happens to him. In First Kings chapter 11, verses 4 and 6, uh, we read this of him. It says, uh, For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after uh, Ashtoreth, or Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites, so, Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. Um, you know, Solomon is, is the wise man whom we're listening to right now. You know, he, he, he was the most wise uh, that ever was. Um, you know, he, he knew so much of God and his character, and yet here we find at the end of his life he's gone astray. He's, he's followed down a vain path. So, knowing is not enough. Uh, it needs to be something different. And so that's one vain pursuit we could fall into. The next, as we consider further, comes to us in chapter two, and verse one through down to 11, um, and I'll read it. I think it's good to keep reading from, from scripture. So I'll read verse one and down to 11. It says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself, but behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted, them all, planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. Also, my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. You know, I think a good phrase here for, for this passage would be that the grass is always greener, um, many people you know, outside, and maybe some of us, we pursue a life that is characterized by maybe the phrase of happiness at all costs, or uh, whatever your heart desires, pursue that. And you know, that's quite a popular sort of idea. You see it a lot in, in movies, especially Disney movies. I've seen far too many of them to admit. And often it's pursue your dreams or pursue what your heart wants, and, and you'll be satisfied, you'll be fulfilled. Um, the grass is always greener somewhere else. And you know, our, our culture is obsessed with it. It's obsessed with pleasure, it's obsessed with, uh, with these things. It's obsessed primarily often with sex and sexuality. Um, and then I've known so many people, or, or too many people rather, that uh, have had their lives ruined uh, with drugs and alcohol. I see it uh, in the hospitals. And um, often, you know, in social media we see folk off into going to Colorado or all kinds of places and they're enjoying themselves and I'm stuck and I can't go with them and I wish I was there. And so this kind of creeps in. You know, we're surrounded so much of this uh, want to find joy and pleasure in life and we might find ourselves making that our goal. Um, Not that going to Colorado is sinful, but it's just a point. Um, But the thing is as much as we're surrounded by it and it's, it's so easy as it is for us to be fooled and to fall into it um, it never lasts you know it's easy up here to say that and it's easy as we're all amongst christians to say oh yes you know following these sort of sensual things yes they're not good they don't last but try that you know in the thick of it when you're by yourself or no one else is watching or you're halfway through the week and churches and and Christianity and all that you heard on Sunday is a distant memory, it becomes less convincing. And the other alternative that these things maybe have something to them or these things will satisfy me, uh, that, that becomes a bit more compelling. And so it's so, so dangerous and so difficult for us, I think, because of the society we live in and because of who we are, that this path maybe is one of the more dangerous and one that Solomon really, I think, fell into, as well as the rest, really. But... It's uh, something we have to be, be careful of and we see it all the time as well it's played out on the stages before us you know we see celebrities and we see their lives and often we might be tempted into thinking that their lives seem so good they've got it all but how many times do we discover uh, as there may be a drama or some kind of um, controversy blows up in the sort of magazines and newspapers that we see their lives their lives maybe aren't as good as we thought they were um, there's a, a poem I, I'm quoting and reading from songs, but they're very helpful, I think, for, to sort of <coughs> pin down our culture. And there's a poem that was adapted to a song, and it's by uh, Simon and Garfunkel, uh, and it's called Richard Corey, and it, I think, expresses this truth very well. It says, it says this, it's about a, a worker uh, who's dissatisfied with his life, and he's talking about his boss. It says, the papers print his pictures almost everywhere he goes. Richard Corey at the opera, Richard Corey at the show and the rumours of his parties and the dancing on his yacht, oh, surely he must be happy with everything he's got. He freely gave to charity, he had the common touch, and they were, and they were grateful for his patronage and thanked him very much. So my mind was filled with wonder when the evening headlines read, Richard Cory went home last night and put a bullet through his head. Yeah, it's quite, uh, uh, maybe a jarring picture, but so true nonetheless. You think of how many people are so dissatisfied with their lives. Um, they th- we think they have it all. The grass looks greener, but it certainly isn't. And it's something we need to remind ourselves of, be careful of, because it's so easy, I think, to fall into it. So that's our second pursuit, our second sort of look at things under the sun, away from God, and we've found that it is uh, striving after the wind. But our third, we're moving on, uh, i keep keep moving on quickly. Our third uh, uh, pursuit is found in verse 12 there and down to verse 17, and it reads, So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly, for what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. And then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, and there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes and in his head, but the fool walks in darkness." for all is vanity and a striving after the wind. And people will say, and, and I think often people uh, accuse Christians of uh, rule keeping. It's all about rule keeping, they'll say. Christianity, it's all, it's, all, it's all sort of regulations and restrictions and you can't do this and you must do that. Uh, and often I think we've been inclined to turn around and say, well, no, that's, that's not what Christianity is about. No, Christianity, as we've been talking earlier, it's about a relationship with God. It's not simply about keeping rules. However, I think in our lives, often as Christians, that can actually begin to be the truth. Um, we sort of fall into this pattern of simply uh, living uh, morally, or as, as this passage puts it, living wisely, wise living or moral living. We just fall into this mere, merely moral living, um, maybe without realizing it. Um, you know, and people out in uh, the culture and often uh, people I, I speak to at university, they'll, they'll talk about this idea of being good enough. They'll say, well, I'm just doing good things um, and, and, I, and I think I, I've done enough good things and I'm just trying to help people and, and I'm good enough. I, surely I won't go to, I will go to heaven. And of course, that's not how it works. We know that's not how it works. Uh, and, and then the question often also arises is what's the point of doing good anyway if God's not in the picture? It doesn't seem to make much sense. And, and Solomon identifies this. you know, With this picture of, of life under the sun, both the fool and the wise die, and there's no remembrance of them. The deeds they've done, the goodness they've done, or the foolishness they've done, the bad things they've done, won't be remembered in a 1,000 years, or 2,000 years. They definitely won't be remembered when everything is gone. Um, so that's the picture that, that we're looking at. And then, uh, sort of tying it again again, you know, well, as Christians, if all we're doing is simply living or keeping rules, we're just turning up to church, we're just sort of uh, going along with the flow, we're, we're not getting drunk and we're not doing drugs because we know we're not to, but we have no real recollection and no real understanding of why we're doing it, we've lost sight of the one in whom we're meant to be doing these things for and we're serving, then we become just as vain and just as meaningless as the one who has no picture of God to begin with. You know, just living morally, no matter... No matter where we are, is meaningless and vanity, and it matters not. So, as Christians, I think it's important and essential that we're always keeping in our heads and always keeping in our minds why we're doing things, the motive, the reason for it, behind it. It's always such so so much more important than just simply doing stuff, because by itself, that's vanity. We all die; Uh, we all go to the grave. So if there's nothing more to it. Why are we bothering? You know, we can. I think there's the picture of the older brother in the 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 uh, parable of the the prodigal son. You know, that's that's I think what I'm trying to get at. We can fall into that sort of uh, into that character. It says I think it comes in Luke. I'll read a little bit of it just uh Luke 11 is where it is. And let's find it. Luke 11 and verse 28, I think it is. Yeah, it says, um, uh, is it Luke 11, 28? Hmm. Luke 15, 28. That is a five apparently, not a one. Thank you. <laughs> Luke 15, 28. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but he was angry and refused to go in. This is after the prodigal sons returned. His father came out and, and treated him But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he he said to him, son, you were always with me, and all that is mine is yours. Is this, you know, we, we can become resentful, we can just be following rules and keeping rules because we think it's the good thing to do. Uh, but we're, we've completely forgotten or completely lost sight of why we're doing them and who we're doing them for um, and the God who called us to it. So that's our, our, our third our third vain pursuit, um, our third vanity. Um, now we move on to our final vanity, our final pursuit, which is found in the following verses in verse 18 to 23. And I'll read those. It says this, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool? Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and and use my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. And so again, we come to our final vanity, our, our, our final view of something under the sun of life our meaning under the sun, or our pursuit of meaning under the sun. And I think obviously one thing that's, should jump out off the page at us is, uh, it is warning us against this idea of being a workaholic. Now that's, uh, I think, something that uh, maybe not all of us might struggle with, but it is something that's always lurking there, this idea, or this, this commitment to, to our job and our, and, our, and our career above everything else, and it's definitely something that the culture pushes on us. Um, you know, you work all your life, you strive hard, Uh, I mean, you get a degree at university, then you get some nice job in an office, uh, and then you you get the house, you get the car, you get the family, maybe even a dog. Um, But all that work, all that sort of striving, all that energy is useless because you find you might not even have the time to even enjoy any of those things. And furthermore, to the point, the one that Solomon makes, you definitely can't bring them with you. Um, You have to leave them behind to someone else. Um, that's the picture without God, at least. And maybe it's not one that we're kind of partial to. But another issue, maybe it's not one that's specifically addressed in this passage, but it, I think it ties in uh, and, and work can become a, a vanity in itself if we forget God in our own lives. You know, if maybe we're not working so hard and we're maybe not giving all of our lives to our job, but we're leaving God at the door when we leave our house to go to our work. You know we're we're not considering actually what this is all for, and it, the work in itself becomes a vain exercise, which it, I don't think it should be. Um, you know, do we do we take time to pray at work? Do we take time in our busy schedules to remember whom we're working for? Um, ultimately as we'll come on to see in a bit as we sort of reflect on these things, you know, it is God who, who is our boss and who looks over us and, and whom we're, we're actually laboring for. Um, and so that's maybe something that we, we might forget to do. And it's this sort of vain path that we can find ourselves in, though maybe not so directly as it's painted here. Um, and, and maybe even we might find ourselves with all of these things considered, all these vain pursuits, we've looked at them all, um, or, or at least the, first, the, the ones that appear in the first two chapters. And we might find ourselves feeling like uh, Mr. Mole in The Wind in the Willows. He's, if, you, if any of you read it, it's a great book. But in the first chapter, we have a, a little mole, and he, he's in his house, and he's cleaning his house, and he's washing his pots, and he's hanging up his washing, and he's painting his, I don't know what, but he's doing a lot of spring cleaning. And he's, he's had enough with it. And he says, hang spring cleaning. And he runs out after the door, down the lane, and goes about to, to mess, in some, mess about in some boats for the rest of the story. You know, he, he's, he's fed up of all that nonsense. He can't stand that. I'm going to go away to some nice little cottage by the river and ignore it all. Um, maybe that's not characterizing it well, but the point I'm making is that we have to face up to reality. You know, we can look at all these vain pursuits and think, well, what's the point then? Even as Christians, well, why bother with any of these things? What are we doing here? But reality is something that needs to be faced. Um, there is uh, a redeem, redeeming things found in all these activities. You know, things, these things in themselves maybe aren't so terrible. It's, it's, it's who we're doing them for in our, in our perspective. Again, you know, we have to face uh, reality. We have to, look, we have to face it up. We, have to, we can't just run away from it either. Um, and that's, I think, where we have to return to our question at the beginning of, well, what is the meaning of life and that sort of biblical answer that we might give? And we can find that a quite sort of uh, well-condensed answer in the end, of the final chapter, the final verses. You know, Solomon continues throughout the rest of Ecclesiastes to unpack the vanities and the the, 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 the elusiveness of life, but he comes to the end and he's he's uh, seen it all and he says this in verse 13 and in, in the last chapter 12 he says the end of the matter all has been heard fear god and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man for god will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing whether good or evil so he's been out searching solomon has seen everything that he can see and everything that he can touch and experience under the sun and it's all come up short it's all vain it's all meaningless but what he's found, what he's concluded, is that it's a relationship with God that's what's important. And it's what actually turns all these meaningless things into something that actually means something. Um, you see here, he's talking about fearing God and keeping his commandments. Uh, the fearing of God is, is this sort of idea of irreverence, but it, it comes from a relationship with him. It's knowing him. That's, I think that's what the idea is capsulating. Um, and of course... I'd be amiss not to, to, to make the point that that relationship, of course, is only possible through Christ. And so we see Christ come out in these verses too. But it's once we have that right relationship with our God, once we're fearing him, recognizing him for who he is and who, us for who we are, and therefore we follow his word, we obey him because we love him, because of all that he's done for him, uh, done for us. It is from that uh, and that, pers- in that position alone that we can then turn back and look at all we've looked in, or looked at in the first two chapters of Ecclesiastes and find meaning in all these things. C.S. Lewis has a great quote uh, that, that highlights this idea or, or explains this idea well, and he says that I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see, that, see everything else. It's our relationship with God, it's our, it's our obedience to him uh, out of love, that leads to meaning in our lives, primarily in in, in our fulfilling of of, of what we've been made for, but also in the other things that we've looked at. You know, if we consider wisdom again, consider knowledge, Proverbs 1, verse seven says at the beginning of knowledge or the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom or the beginning of knowledge. Um, It's that relationship that allows us to unpack uh, this, this wisdom. It allows us to grab hold of the knowledge and it's some of the most uh, beautiful truths that we can grab hold of in that. You know, we get to understand Christ. We get to see who God is. We understand his mercy. This is all comes through knowing God. And it's that knowledge then that, that gives us joy. So it's a good knowledge. It's, it's not one that's sort of futile and, and, and running after sort of human philosophies, but it's one that continues to strive after God and continues to want to know him more. Um, you know, it's... We we said that ignorance is bliss, but what a a bliss that's even greater is the one of knowing that you are saved, and knowing that your God is your that He is yours, and that He loves you and knows you. Uh, That relationship truly is bliss. And then we have pleasure, the thing we considered secondly, sort of happiness. You know, all the things in life, all these things that have been given to us are are good things that we can enjoy, but in the right time, um, in the right places. Often the the, the the unhappiness that comes with the searching out of pleasure is that it's been done, gone about and done in a, in, in, the, in the wrong manner, in the wrong place. Um, you know, Ecclesiastes actually even make has a, has a great verse in the chapter that we haven't looked at, but it, in chapter 3, in verse 11, it says that he has made everything beautiful in its time. Uh, and it is true that all these good things, all these good gifts, they come primarily from God, and it's through him and by him that we can actually find joy it's not as though we're being called as christians to be sort of joyless and empty that we can't enjoy things we can't have happiness and pleasure in life but it's that by knowing god and having that relationship it allows us to then enjoy these things um you know psalm 23 we talked about greener pastures that the grass is always greener but we read psalm 23 and he says we we read those words those verses of how he leads us by green pastures you know what I, i shall want not um, because we have all that we need in Christ. Uh, and then also wise living, moral living. Um, it, these things become to matter when we read those last verses of Ecclesiastes. You know, the picture or the perspective of Ecclesiastes is one without God, as we've said uh, many times. And so death is the end. But we see here something that should bring us comfort, maybe not on the, on the first reading, but it actually is, is, a, is a great comfort, it says in verse 14, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. This means that things matter. What we do here matters. And so when Solomon says that all die and nothing will be remembered, when we consider God and he, he joins the picture again, we, we see that's not the case. Because life goes on. You know, there is no such thing as a mere mortal. C.S. Lewis also makes the point. Everyone we meet, everyone we talk to, everybody we interact with will carry on living. And so then our actions matter. How we treat them matters. And furthermore, because we're fearing God and because we know of what he's done for us, of how he's sent his son, then, of course, our actions matter even more because we give our lives to him. Uh, That relationship then flourishes in the way that we act and the way that we live. Um, And then finally, work. Work was with us since the beginning. Um, It was before the fall. Work is a good thing that has been given to us that we might labor on this earth. But without God, as we've considered and looked at, it's actually meaningless and it's wearisome. But if we consider God, if we consider uh, him who has given it to us and we do it in the right way, we look at, uh, we can read from Colossians where it says that, uh, it talks about us laboring unto him. Uh, I'll I'll read it, Colossians chapter three and verse 23. Let's get it. Uh, Yeah, Colossians three and 23. And it says, um, uh, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord, Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Christ." Uh, It transforms work. The picture is no longer that we're serving earthly masters, but we're serving a heavenly master who cares for us and has put us there for a purpose. Um, and so we can find such joy and such fulfillment in all these areas in life, in, in our knowledge and our wisdom that, that's rooted in, in God, and, and in pleasure and happiness that's rooted in God, and then in wise living and moral living that's rooted in, in God, and then our work that's rooted in, in, in God. You know, these, these things can all be enjoyed, Uh, They can all have meaning, but only if we're pursuing the true meaning, the true purpose of our lives, which is to, as Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 says, to fear God uh, and to keep his commandments. Um, And so that's some of the things. That's Ecclesiastes chapter 2, as I've managed to understand it. Hopefully, some of those things have been helpful. Um, I understand it's maybe been a bit of a depressing tone but I hope that's more because of the book as opposed to my monotone voice. Um, But yeah, I think if we can try and remember, and it's been helpful for myself, you know, when we go into this week, to remind ourselves to be up, have our guards up uh, of the vain paths in life and continue always uh, to pursue Christ, to pursue God, to fear him and to keep his commandments. And for this is the whole duty of man. So we'll pray and then I think we will sing, I think. Uh, Lord, we come before you, uh, a people that uh, desire to know you and to to, to love you. Lord, we pray that um, we would uh, fear you, uh, that our relationship with you and our understanding of you would be characterized by reverence and fear, and so we would keep your commandments. Lord, help us to live a life that's in obedience to you. Uh, Help us to live a life that strives after you, um, that that seeks uh, you out. And so from, from that, we might find enjoyment and meaning and fulfillment in our lives. Lord, help us not to be led astray. Help us not to go down a dead-end path uh, that ultimately, ultimately will lead to death, but rather help us, Lord, to live in the light of Christ um, and to pursue those things that we might find joy and happiness and peace in all the areas of our life. Uh, we thank you for the words of wisdom that we have been able to read from Uh, And we pray, Lord, as we go into our weeks, that we would keep uh, your word in our hearts and our minds and that it would characterize our walk. And so we pray these things in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen. Amen.